Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now. Runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm Hal Bryan. I'm senior editor at EAA for print and digital content and publications. Here on my left... I'm uh, Chris Henry, the EAA Museum Programs Coordinator. And over there, across the table... Tom Charpentier, Government Relations Director. All right. And guys, uh, we have a guest today... You know, we were just joking a moment ago that uh, offline that uh, this is somebody who truly needs no introduction. But boy, to the world of, of EAA, uh, he deserves uh, an introduction that would last an hour or two, but he really doesn't need any at all. Uh, it's a real pleasure and a privilege to welcome uh, aerobatic pilot, Young Eagles chairman, uh, all around uh, renaissance man and good guy, uh, Sean D. Tucker. Sean, welcome uh, to the Green Dot. Thanks so much for taking some time to join us. Uh, well, first of all, when you just say the green dot, I just yes. rem- and I'm glad to be here, but I remember the first time 26 years ago, land on the green dot, I go, where the heck's the green dot? <laughs> <laughs> and then you look down the runway, and sure I, enough. I, I'm going down Fisk, arrival. I'll never forget my first time to Oshkosh doing the whole procedure and how frenetic it, 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 was, it was there and going over to the Weeks hangar and I go, I've reached Mecca. There's <laughs> Leo Loudenslager coming by, Charlie Hillard, Jimmy Franklin, uh, the French Connections. I mean, it was just, I was just stunned. I couldn't believe I finally made it to Oshkosh. And I was going to get to fly there that year. And I was, it was it's something I'll never forget as long as I live, the green dot. <laughs> well, and now, uh, and now you've truly reached the pinnacle of your career by appearing on the, uh, the award-winning podcast of the same name. <laughs> uh, disclaimer, we have won no awards <laughs> as of yet. <laughs> well, the good news is I'm, I feel so honored because, number one, we're, it's this big family we have called the Experimental Aircraft Association is comprised of people from all walks of life with one singular passion. Well, many, many passions, but the, the, the number one is, is flying and what it represents, the metaphor, what it means to the future, how we honor the past. And uh, I'm, I feel delighted and honored to be here. Well, that's, that's great, Sean, and uh, we were really happy to have you. Um, when we uh, when we have any guest on who is uh, who's into aviation as a pilot, um, we always kind of take them back to the beginning and ask uh, how you did get into aviation. So, can you tell us a little bit about your first flight, um, learning to fly? Uh, you know, your interests as a kid. Well, my father was an aviation attorney, and he had a passion for it. And um, when he when he finally graduated law school and passed the bar, he wanted he decided he wanted to be an aviation attorney and representing um, uh, a defense attorney. And he had no skills whatsoever when it comes to flying. A great mind, but man, he just could not figure out how to fly an airplane. I mean, poor guy. <laughs> I only got to fly once with my pop when I was 14. He was with an instructor getting his instrument rating out of Hawthorne. It was early in the morning, and he was going to go do a deposition in, in Fresno, a couple-hour flight away, and it was foggy. And he is just bursting out in sweat. I'm sitting in the back seat going, whoa, man. You really got to be this scared to go flying? I mean, he is just a train wreck, jittery nerves, and 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 I know nothing about this. I've never been in an airplane before, so I'm scared. And we rumble off into the darkness, and we're in the fog. We come out of the fog, 
and there's the high Sierras, and the sun's going up. And I said, yep, that's the first time I really believed in God. And from that moment on, I was enchanted with this notion called flight. Uh, it was a kind of a long journey for me. There was a lot, wasn't a lot of dough in the family. I got 100 bucks when I was 17 to take some fly lessons. And actually, in those days, $100, you gave you about four or five hours of instruction. It took me about um, two, almost a year and a half to solo just to come up with the rest of the money. But in that, during that process, I had still taken that initial fear and panic that my father had with me. And um, I was a very fearful pilot. I would panic at the controls. Um, it, uh, I should never have gotten my private pilot's license. I had, my instructors did not notice how I closed my eyes when I'd stall. Uh, I got my private pilot's license and uh, I was dangerous because I would panic at the controls. And, and that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when, we, when you get totally, totally crippled in terms of trying to make cognitive decisions because of your panic you're a pretty dangerous guy in the sky, even when you're not trying to be reckless. And so to conquer that, I took an aerobatic course from a little old lady named Amelia Reed in 1973. And I just was straight up with her. I said, I'm too dangerous to fly by myself. I don't want to fly with passengers. I'm afraid I'm going to crash. All the wrong things instead of really having that beauty. And it was, it was a big challenge for me. And she just took me under her wing gently and we did baby steps with rolls and stalls and loops and spins. And that 10-hour course changed my life. And she gave me this card, aerobatic pilot. And by that time, I was in, um, in college. And, but that was it for me. I'm an aerobatic pilot. I, I conquered a fear. So what I was so afraid of, I became in love with it. And that, I had about 56 hours of flying time at that time. And my life changed. Um, and this is the only thing I've ever wanted to do in my life is make designs in the sky. And it's been a great, great journey. I flew my first air show in 1976. And so a while, 42 years, um, uh, will, will be an anniversary this year of me performing at my first show. And I'm still learning the art form. I absolutely am challenged by the opportunity to get in the venue. I still get nervous. It's still hard, um, but I, I love the, the commitment you need to make to, be, to do it well. So I understand uh, early on, at some point in your career, you were a crop duster. Do you think that there are any skills you developed while you were a crop duster that you used later on in your air show career? The reason I'm a, an alive crop duster <laughs> is because which I is the a, best I was kind. Aerobatic, <laughs> because i was an aerobatic pilot first because that first year being a crop duster you know it, it yeah, number one you have to work for for somebody to take a chance on you you're going to go fly for the bad company <laughs> for the bad operator uh, and they they throw you out there with the junkiest piece of equipment because they know you're going to beat it up and and if I didn't have my intuitive skills, I never would have survived that first year. I was flying Stearman's. Um, I, I think what Crop Dustin did for me is, number one, I, I just love farmers. I consider farmers the backbone of America. And I love farmers. Everything was a handshake deal. They were, they were big risk takers. Uh, you know, they bet, they bet the farm every year on, on, on their commodities. 
I never had one in all the years. I, I had my own business to support my passion, which which was aerobatic flying, until I started making it. I never had one farmer not pay me, and we never had one contract. Uh, I love everything about the people who harvest the fields, back-breaking labor, and, and, and the people who come harvest the fields to provide a better future for their families. Uh, I honor them. And so the whole community is Defeat America. And, you know, what a magnificent country. And that's the start uh, of, of my journey as an airship pilot because I, I, I understood the character of the farmers, the character of the laborers, and how hard everybody works. And then I got to travel across the United States of America and share the magic of flight with Americans from all walks of life, all walks of life. And then to be involved with EAA, to to – be, be a member of such a magnificent, big, extended family. I, I consider myself the luckiest guy on earth. Oh, absolutely. Um, you, you mentioned your first air show performance, um, and uh, I'd imagine you know going from uh, you know a, working as a crop duster in, in one of your first aviation jobs to performing in front of people. That must have been uh, a little bit different. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's it's a very performing in front of an audience. Um, is, is very empowering because everything you've worked for, you know, the wings become your arms and, and everything you work for, they're watching it and you're there to, 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 to allow them to live vicariously through you. And the joy that it creates in their face is intoxicating. It, is, it, it, it makes you feel like a little bit, just by a little bit, you're making the world a little better place. You're creating some joy. You're instilling some passion in them. And boy, was I nervous. Um, I flew with Big Joe Hughes. He was the big headliner. Oh, yeah. And Grace VA, Livermore, California, 1976. And, and um, I'm not saying I was any good, but I had the <laughs> same passion then that I do now. That's never changed. My skills have increased, and I have made mistakes, so I got to learn from the best. I I really, really was fortunate to to learn from the best, and um, you know, and I, and I made some serious mistakes in 1979. I wasn't listening to the mentors. Um, I wasn't. People were saying, "Sean, you, you you got something, but but you're you're a little reckless, and you're you're flying a little too low, and you're you're we're worried about you." And I, for me, it was a dream, and I was willing to sacrifice at all costs, which is a wrong mental, mental thing. And, and I didn't listen to these guys and I had to bail out in 1979. I came, my shoot, my, and it was all pilot air accident doing an inverted flat spin that I wasn't, I just pushed the center of gravity too far aft on the airplane and I wasn't able to recover. And I barely survived. I, my um, parachute opened at about a hundred feet above the ground. Um, I, before my chute opened, I heard the airplane crash. That's how close it was. And I laid there on the ground going, I just lost my, I just lost my dream. And it took me, you know, I lost my dream. I'm working for this, this crop dusting outfit that there was no future. I had about $8,000 worth of equity in the airplane. I said, you know, I got to go get my act together. I'm, now I'm married. <laughs> you know, I have responsibilities and I, I just blew it. And so, um, I had to change the whole course of my career and leave the air show flying alone for five, six years because I had to go buy a house. I had to go grow up. I had my shot and I blew it. 
And so I went and did that, but I never gave up and gave sight of really where I wanted to go. And so when I finally had enough money to buy another airplane, after I bought the house, after we had the kids, I went back into it. And I said, this time, this time, I'm going to do it right. I joined the AA. I became an IEC member. I started out in the intermediate. Should have started out in sportsman because you really learned the, the basics. Uh, within a year and a half, I became national champion in the advanced, had a coach. And then I said, I'm going to go find my best mentors. And that was Leo Loudenschlager, that was Charlie Hillard, and that was Bob Hoover. And those guys took me under their wings in the, in the mid-'80s. And I listened to everything they said, and I absolutely, absolutely followed their guidelines. And that's the reason I'm successful today. That's the reason I'm alive today, because they gave me, the, besides my passion, which I have huge, huge passion for flight, and I just I, I, I can't tell you how, how powerful an emotion it is in me, but what I needed was reverence. And, and air show flying is very, very dangerous, and if you don't have reverence, you're going to die. And if you die in front of an audience, all the good work you've done for the previous years is gone because you took away somebody's dream. Instead of thrilling and inspiring, you have traumatized. And when you do that, you've abused the privilege. And those, those gentlemen are, are the ones that are the reasons I'm successful today because I listened, but I, they gave me some, some core values that I could follow for the rest of my life. Wow, that uh, that's truly inspiring. I mean, the the words that you're saying, inclu- including uh, the the guys that really sort of led your career. That's uh, that's incredible. Um, can you tell us a little bit? You mentioned you know getting into the different aircraft. Can you tell us a little bit about the Oracle Challenger? Oh, this flying machine! Oh my goodness! You know, it's a, it's an evolution when you develop an airplane, just like it's an evolution when you develop your routine. It, it's it, it takes a lifetime to – when you're flying in the low-level environment, you have to be so acute in your thinking. You have to be so intuitive with the flying machine and to, to, because that's the only way you can be safe. You have to be very – even though I'm always still a little bit nervous when I go into the arena, and I think that's healthy, but it's a good nerve, and I, I get in tune with my airplane. And this airplane, I started out in the pits because that's all I can afford. Um, and the monoplanes were, were better performing airplanes, but the pizzas were just, I just love wooden fabric. And I just, I just love how, how snappy it was. And so I started evolving the, the design over the years because that's what I could afford. And, and remember in, in my line of work, you can make a living, but you don't get really rich. Okay. So every investment I made in a design change in the airplane had to be vetted from the pros, and that's Steve Wolf and Curtis Pitts, um, Eddie Sauerman. I mean, there's some great designers out there, but you have to take only baby steps because you can't afford to throw $100,000 or $200,000 or $400,000 into a flying machine that doesn't work. Because it, I can't afford that. I'm just an air show guy. So it took a long time to get to this flying machine. And it is absolutely eight ailerons, the only biplane in the world with eight ailerons. It's got a flying tail, it's composites, it's all this stuff. And she is, she is the most enjoyable thing I've ever flown in my life. Hardest airplane in the world to land because the control surfaces are so big, the gear is so springy, 
and it's so short coupled that you got to be really just just very subtle touches to make it fly correctly. But when you do, you're part of a flying machine, and it is a dream to operate. I love this girl. Wow. Yeah, we can only imagine. Um, we, uh, you know, we here at EAA have um, have been working for a long time on uh, on, on increasing piloting skills through, uh, you know, um, uh, preventing loss of control and just basic airmanship. And I understand you've done a little bit on that uh, yourself, or quite a bit on that yourself, um, with the uh, Tutima Academy of uh, Aviation Safety. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, this is, you know, number one, uh, it's always about giving back. And as soon as I could afford a a two-seat airplane to give instruction in, I wanted to do it. Uh, God bless every flight school that gives aerobatic instructions. God bless them all because we're all working so hard. And everybody goes, how's business? I says, oh, it's good. What does it mean? It's great. If you're breaking even, it's great. And so um, it's a commitment to the industry. And I do have a lot of experience in that. And what, what I, the conclusion I, I came to, I've flown with 50,000-hour guys. I've flown with 50-hour guys. The, the, from upset, when a person gets accidentally upside down or beyond 90, the first thing they do is pull. Because that's, that's your flight or, or your flight or fight syndrome, you know, it squeezes all this adrenaline, and you, that's your first thing you do is pull. When you do that, you normally are upside down, and you're pulling the wings off the airplane. When all you have to do is relax and, and, and make it fun and release the stall and let the wing fly again, go a little ballistic. And it's a really, just invariably, every guy I've, or every person I've ever flown with, when they first get upset, we first get them upside down, they pull. Once we give them the skills to relax and roll, they go, they'll never pull again. And, and so they've made it so complicated about upset recovery. I say it's stick and rudder skills. It's getting yourself, there's a, every single airplane has an envelope, okay? And, and Hoover says it best, you fly the feathered edge. Find out where the feathered edge is. And that's really all you have to do. And get yourself there purposely with an instructor, and it doesn't take ten thousand dollars worth of training, a thousand bucks, a couple grand worth of training, and you're going to be set for the rest of your life. And then every year, just do some more of it, and and just it, it take baby steps with with upset training. And besides that, it's fun. I mean, it's fun. You know, these poor guys, these corporate guys, these jets are so expensive. They got all these sims and everything else. They've lost their skills. They've lost, they really have lost their skills. These corporate guys need to get in small airplanes and get some stick and rudder skills to get back to why they got into flying in the first place. You know, when they, the, the, the jet is so automated that, that they hit the button as soon as possible because it flies better than they can. And then they t- disengage the autopilot when it's time to flare. Well, if something bad happens, they are rusty. And it doesn't matter if you put a guy in a simulator, he knows nothing's going to happen to him in that sim. You put a guy in an airplane, you take him upside down for real, that's when that squeeze in the top of your brain comes to, <laughs> for flight or, or fight. And, and it, it's pretty a simple equation, and I really believe strongly that everybody should take their time, learn how to spin an airplane, Learn how to roll an airplane, get some proper instruction, and you're going to be a much, much more competent pilot, confident pilot, and a safer pilot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot, so many pilots, they never 
go through that training. And then when they do find themselves upside down or out of control, it's in a true emergency situation, which is not when you want to be learning how to do that. Then you rely on luck. Okay. (laughs) And, and, And let me tell you, I have a saying in my business, luck comes to the one most prepared. (laughs) Okay. And so (laughs) you want to combine because we always need luck in life, but also be prepared. And and besides, it's fun. (laughs) You know, a a moment ago, Sean, you did a uh, you did a fantastic Bob Hoover impression. So I don't want to let that uh, that go unnoticed. Um, Such great (laughs) memories we all have of uh, have of Bob. And he was uh, he was something of a friend of the family when I was a kid. So when I was 10 and 12 years old, just a, a few minutes with him here and there was something that made a deep impression on me. And I know he's, he's had, uh, uh, had a much bigger involvement in your life. Um, but as we talked about, uh, about the uh, Tatima Academy and, and Bob Hoover, you have another venture uh, that's in the works right now or that, that's come together, the Bob Hoover Academy. Could you talk about that a little bit? Well, thanks for mentioning that. Um, what, number one, I, I got to tell you how proud I am and to be representing the Young Eagles with my voice and traveling across the country and, and taking, we, we take a Young Eagle flying at every venue. Uh, the media comes out, they own it because it's a good story. And it talks about the youth of America and it doesn't matter. And what I love about our members is our passion for, for sharing sharing our love for the sky and it doesn't matter what color your skin is it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor in america if you're you're here your dreams are relevant and i've just take to, taken it one step farther i get my community as i explained earlier is a tough luck community it's huge gang province leaders we got the per capita we we equal chicago in terms of uh, youth on youth homicides and i i I've learned so much through the metaphor of flight and what and how I live my life as a human being that I wanted to give back. My son and I started a program called Every Kid Can Fly um, through, through the generous donation of, of an EAA member who got me a 152. Then we went to the community and started figuring out how to touch these kids who are one step away from being institutionalized. And I wanted the toughest kids. I wanted the roughest kids um, because I, I, I so strongly believe how flight changes people's life. And now we are the Bob Hoover Academy. Three weeks before Bob passed away, I said, I was at his house. I said, listen, you're already in the Smithsonian. You already got everything. You don't need another statue. But I want your legacy to continue because of your core values. And he knew what I was doing with Every Kick Can Fly. And I said, I want to rename it the Bob Hoover Academy. He looks me in the eyes. And, and we all knew he was going sometime, but I, I didn't know he was going to be gone in three weeks. And he looks at me and he goes, let's do this. And oh, I was so yeah. honored that he believes in me and my commitment to who, what he represents. And um, it's gone now. We're high school. Uh, we got 19 kids in our high school. My kids, I got kids who have now graduated from college who are productive members of society. And these were these were the throwaway kids and all we did is get when they first come aboard sometimes you don't even want to look them in the eyes because they're that's their flight or fight i mean they i i when i first started this i said holy toledo m i really made a bad decision because they're scary 
And all they, after two hours with them, after showing them that we care, that we want to get the best out of them using flight, they get self-esteem and they turn into kids again. And I, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And, and I was at EAA um, this August at Migration. And Jerry uh, asked me to come out. And that's the Redbird Company. Right. And I gave my, my, gave my talk and I told him what I'm doing. And he sent me, uh, it's like a $65,000 full motion simulator for my academy. Oh, that's fantastic. And, uh, it, no, it's huge. And, and why it's huge is a statement because I'm a public-private partnership. I take all the risk. I, I have to raise the funds for this flight training for these kids. And the Monterey County Department of Ed- Alternative Education funds the high school, funds the teachers, and, but, you know, but they can't take that kind of risk, but they're willing to partner with me. And, and, but they fund the other portions of the education. This is a full track. They're going to high school. But now my throughput to all the rest of the community for STEM, I had the superintendents of Monterey County come out, and they saw this commitment that my industry is giving to this community. They are blown away. That the, the, they are absolutely blown away. They have never had a higher success ratio for, for every single one of my kids graduate from high school. Not because we force them. It's because now they have self-esteem. But now the throughput that I can have and this touch point I can have, instead of just 19 kids a year, I think I'm going to get 300 kids a year using the sim and using the metaphor of flight as a STEM-based operation. And so the science technology classes are going to come to use my sim. I'm able to rent it out to the corporate flight department to pay for it. I'm trading the city of Salinas. This, I mean, it costs me about 700 a month to have the sim, the building, the internet, hardwired, all that. And it, it is. It, I feel so lucky that I have it. And it's really made a statement to the community that we're on to something powerful. And um, next steps is I want to grow the academy a little bit more. But I'm taking this to the tough luck people. It's um, the lucky kids who have loving parents are welcome to be aboard. But my commitment is to these kids that didn't have a shot because every kid you save makes an exponential difference to the world, an exponential because they are going to do something great themselves. Uh, one of the kids who's getting his A, just graduated, getting his A&P, um, you know, let me, let me tell you this story. So we, he's just about ready to solo. He, he, we mandate a drug test for the kids just to hold him accountable. He failed his drug test. He was smoking marijuana. I mean, he's two weeks from graduating from high school, and he's, and he's just about ready to solo. I got about 50 hours of investment in this kid. And, and, um, and, and the reason it takes so long to teach these kids is because you have to teach them in a different way than a normal setting. They, their skills are pretty low, but they, 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 they get it pretty quickly. And, and so, so anyway, I said, Martin says, well, I want to keep flying. I said, Martin, it's over. <laughs> you failed. You're graduating. You, you, you knew the consequences. It's over. So but he graduates. Very nice kid. He totally, totally took responsibility. Comes back, comes back but after graduation, and he goes, can I just, you know, I'm going to A&P school. Can I work in your hangar and, and um, work it off? I said, okay. For every 15 hours you work on this, every kid can fly on Bob Hoover airplane and in my hangar, I'll give you one hour of flying time. Took him a year and a half. To solo, and so we allowed him to solo, 
and he's now getting his AMP. Uh, he's in honors at he's a, he's a top guy in his class, and it, and, and it just it is just so inspires me to keep moving forward with this when you change just one life at a time. I get the last two graduating classes we had. Remember, we're only three years in this partnership with Monterey County. The last two graduation classes I've had, my kids have been valedictorians for all the 1,400 kids in alternative education in Monterey County. I mean, my kids are superlative in and how they've grown because of what this metaphor of flight is and how they're learning to be the best they can be. It's, it's outstanding. And the reason I do the drug testing for them is because when they fail their drug test the first time, that's okay. But now they can go to their friends and say, no, I don't want to smoke pot. I, want, I, I don't want to smoke. I just got busted. I want to fly airplanes. They won't let me fly the airplanes. Nobody fails a second time. Not anymore, because they understand the consequences. It's pretty cool. That is absolutely fantastic, um, and and what an in- inspiring thing. I hope uh, you'll keep uh, obviously keep EA in mind and keep and keep us posted on the progress of everything well, that happens well, there at the Bob Hoover part- Academy. No, I know, and, and thanks for saying that. But we're partners. This EAA, they, these kids start with the Young Eagle flight first. Terrific. They go through the sporties course. They buy their way in. We're partners on this. Um, we are at EAA and the Bob Hoover Academy are absolute partners because without the EAA membership and their kindness, it wouldn't happen. This is this is you know this costs money to do this, but it is making a difference. And to me, that's money well spent. Absolutely. Uh, so, Sean, on a on a lighthearted note, uh, and and of course with nothing but uh, uh, admiration and respect, um, we talk a lot about our favorite aviation movies on this show, uh, on and off, and uh, we also talk about the uh, we talk about some of the aviation movies that we sort of either hate to love or love to hate, something like that. And I have to ask you: Have you ever seen Iron Eagle Four? Uh, yeah, I got a worse one than that. <laughs> well, okay. well, it just, it sounds to me like the Bob Hoover Academy, it's like you found the one good thing in the entire film, Iron Eagle 4, aside from a little bit of the flying, and that's that whole youth program thing, and you actually brought it to life in a good way, and I'm not, obviously I'm kidding, I'm not suggesting you were inspired by that, but... But uh, yeah, go back and watch Iron Eagle, which is the you know which is the good one, which isn't saying a lot, and then <laughs> and then maybe you know have a beer or two and work your way through. Uh, when you get to four, um, uh, just know that from now on, whenever uh, whenever the three of us watch Iron Eagle four, we're going to imagine uh, Lou Gossett Jr. playing Sean I, D. Tucker. I, well, I, the, my worst one is Cloud Dancer. Okay, go watch with yeah. Keith. It's Carradine. I don't remember. Yeah, Keith Carradine. Carradine I, think, I actually yeah. watched the the filming there, and I and watched right. Charlie Hiller do the stunt flying for Cloud Dancer and Gene Susi at an air show. <laughs> That's the worst one there is. That's all there is to it. I think Tom Pulverizny flew in that one as well. Uh, but uh, <laughs> That's anyway. right. we're going to have to make this a, a regular question. What's your What's the worst aviation movie you've ever seen? We'll bring that up next time. Um, okay, that's the deal. On a uh, what's the best aviation movie I've ever seen? Okay, now we're just gonna now you're just trying to start a fight. Okay, <laughs> no, no, there is um, no single best. What was Robert Redford? Um, oh, the Great Waldo Redford. Pepper. The Great Waldo Pepper. Yeah, that occupies right. a, a rarefied spot. You you almost never find anybody who doesn't put that at least in their top five or so. Yeah, uh, aviation yeah. movie wise, good good stuff. Um, so speaking of things sort of uh, aspirational, you've gotten to fly a lot of uh, a lot of 
pretty amazing airplanes in your career. Uh, is there anything out there that you, you haven't had a chance to fly and you dream of flying? Well, what, what um, you know, I'm, I'm a little airplane guy. I've been lucky enough that they'll let me. I've flown an F-18 with the blues. I'm right. in formation with the blues, and they get, let me fly in the slot position and behind the crowd on a Friday practice. I get to fly some neat stuff, MiG-29. I mean, neat, powerful stuff. But I, I'm really getting into um, glider aerobatics, and I think I'd like to fly that Fox. And um, I'm looking for one right now. There's one in California that I want to go rent and fly because it's so uh, nimble, let's put it that way. Most gliders, flying aerobatics and gliders, are so much adverse yaw. You really got to work hard to, do, to fly it correctly. But uh, that's what I'm looking for now is, is a fox and a glider. Oh, that's uh, that's great. Actually, uh, uh, on aircraft types, I, uh, I have a story involving you, actually, um, from when I was learning to fly. I was um, I was living in Boston at the time, flying in uh, Fitchburg, Massachusetts, in a Cessna 152. And I remember seeing an interview with you where you referred to the 152 as a, quote, go-kart. And I remember, I remember thinking, "Wait a minute! This I, I just sold this airplane. This is a this is a real airplane." And uh, I'm 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 beginning to understand the comments a little bit more as I've flown different types. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of grief for that. Well, well, that's what we have is a 152 for the kids because it's so unintimidating. I I sh- should have used a 172 because some of my kids are big. And it's hard to get the my diminutive instructor. I got a, a, a she's almost nun like. She weighs about 110 pounds. So I got the smallest instructor I can to so fit my big kids in there. But uh, what a great airplane! Oh my goodness, you know she she is a she is so unintimidating. But she'll still slap you in the face. She still does a good stall. You know, I mean this girl this girl will bite you. You got to have some respect for that girl. She's fun. <laughs> That's definitely. fantastic. No, no, definitely. <laughs> um, okay, Sean, as we're getting uh, getting close to the end here, I, th- I think uh, I think it's been my or it'll be my privilege to ask you uh, what would, we'll all agree must be the single most important question of the show, uh, and that is, uh, what's Oprah Winfrey like? <laughs> well, you know what? What's so great? First of all, what what an honor to be on Oprah Winfrey, and uh, because. People get all the, immediately. You got cred, okay? You got cred, <laughs> and you've got cred, and, and you've and, got cred, and you've got cred. Yeah, and and uh, she was actually a lot of fun. But you, you you judge people by who they surround themselves with, and her producers and and all the people who put help me get on the show are still friends of mine to this day. And she was oh, give me a break. Oprah's a blast. She's got great energy. She's <laughs> She makes you feel at home. It's very positive. I just loved hugging her. I loved going down the zip line. To, <laughs> to come. And, and all I was doing was representing an industry, okay? And I was doing my job. And, and it, it sure, I got some acknowledgement, but I'm an air show guy that believes in what air shows represent to America in terms that's the first touch point the kids get to be exposed aviation because nowadays you can't go to the airport and watch airplanes take off and land you're going to get rousted there's bob wire fences around just about every airport because this is a, the nature of what we live in now after uh, 9-11 and 
air shows are very important for these kids to see that joy they come to to see the, the dad mom take their kids it's family entertainment and of course the greatest show above the earth is yay air venture and and to to be there for as long as i've been there now i think is my 26th or 27th consecutive year performing there is is humbling and to be there all week long it's a very long week for me because of all the obligations. I, I'm so excited to be there. I leave exhausted, but I leave empowered to be reverent with the art form of flight because it does change your life. Well, you've certainly, uh, in that instance and in every other uh, aspect of your life, as far as we can tell, you've certainly been uh, a terrific uh, an ambassador for aviation and uh, and certainly an inspiration. Um, uh, as we were uh, doing a little bit of uh, show prep Tom had uh, had mentioned when uh, Art Scholl was on uh, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and how similar that was how you know sort of Oprah's show was kind of the uh, in some ways uh, you know she's the Johnny Carson and more of a different generation and uh, certainly as a kid I remember seeing Art Scholl on, on the Tonight Show and 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 then seeing him at air shows and getting his autograph time and time again. And uh, great to see, you know, our world, the aviation and air show world, cross over into the mainstream like that. I agree. I agree. And, and uh, if, you, if you just think how EA started, its humble roots and, and where it is today, under great leadership, um, passionate, passionate members I mean, it, it to me, it's the best kept secret in, in the United States of America to be a member of an organization, and we just got to keep spreading the word because what we do is magic because we're above the earth, and to me, that's powerful. You're here. Well, Sean, thank you so much for taking uh, time out of your day to join us today. This has really, uh, really meant a lot to us. Uh, it means so much with uh, the close partnership you have with EAA, everything you do for EAA, and, of course, for general aviation at large. Uh, we can't thank you enough for that. And with that, uh, thanks, as always, to everyone out there listening. We appreciate the feedback and the reviews. Please keep that stuff coming. We hope uh, you continue to enjoy the show. We hope you subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. Demand that their friends and families also subscribe. Keep spreading the word, and, uh, and we'll keep these episodes coming. Uh, so with that, our thanks to everyone once again. And we'll see you next time when you're cleared to land. Yeah, baby. On the green dot.